Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Art of Podcast. Today I'm joined by my guest Harriet Drudge. Hi Sam. And we're going to be talking all about Harriet's life, career, work in journalism. Um, now Harriet, you're actually uh, early on in the series and you are the first female guest I've had. And as a female journalist, I just wanted to talk to you to begin with about getting into sport as a female journalist. Okay. Um, well, I guess I've always been into sport um, from a young age. I played it, interested in watching it. Um, so when I started thinking about a career, um, when I really first was asked that question, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? The first thing I said was a PE teacher. And I think that was largely because it was the only career in sport that I could see right in front of me um, and that I had a lot of female really kind of influential female PE teachers um, at, at high school in particular um, so that was kind of what I first uh, what I first kind of lent towards uh, and then I think it was in a, a business studies lesson at GCSE we were asked to draw our um, an advert and compose an advert for our dream job um, and I drew Sky Sports News uh, presenter kind of advert um, so that's what that's what it kind of all started. The little seed was uh, was sown in there, uh, and then from from then onwards, really, I started looking into roots into working in football. Um, so I kind of always had the plan that uh, I'd go to university um, and get a degree in not necessarily something super specific. I looked at journalism. Um, but ultimately, actually, I wasn't confident enough in my writing to pursue that. So I went down a business management route, thinking that kind of keeps all of my options open. Um, you can go into anything, really, if you have a business management degree. Um, but you have quite a nice grounding in just kind of work and a work life. Um, and I went to university at Surrey and they kind of kick you out in the, in this, in the third year to go and do a placement year, which was amazing, an amazing experience. And I was lucky enough to get the job, um, get a placement year at the Football Foundation. Um, so, you know, that kind of combined, I was doing PR and comms for them uh, and also doing a bit of writing for them for outlets such as FC Business, uh, the non-league paper and a few other kind of online publications. So that's kind of how my journey kind of started, I guess, uh, and what I kind of pursued when I realised that that was something that I wanted to do. And it's, it's led you to now being at The Athletic, which uh, for listeners of the, the show will know is a, a favourite of mine because I think the majority of the guests have at least worked for The Athletic at some stage. Um, but it's, it's one of those things, you do the, the social media lead on it um, and it's sort of a, an innovative thing when we've been discussing it with, uh, in the past, Adam Hurry and Matt Slater. Um, we've spoken about how it's sort of a magazine almost in your pocket, on your phone, on your laptop. And the social media sort of reflects that because something I quite like that's been happening recently is you've got those like images that you can slide across on, which I never knew you could do. But how do you come to sort of creating these images and making a social presence or something as fresh as The Athletic was? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of evolved, obviously, since since we launched. So it's it's been a really exciting challenge kind of launching a brand that on in the uk launching a brand in the uk on social um that had such hype around it 
people already people in the industry already knew quite a lot about it um, and then it was kind of on us to make sure that all of our social output kind of matched the the selling point of you know the premium product that we're offering the premium writers that we have the incredible talent that we you know we have at the athletic um, so when it comes to creating images um, I have a hat tip to the editorial team uh, they give me a heads up when they're editing the pieces if there's anything in there that they think will work for social they give me a kind of like um, a time frame of when when a piece is going live whether or not I need to read the whole thing if it's a you know really really important piece that we think is going to do well and that will resonate with our audience a lot then I have the time to read it but quite a lot of the time I don't have the time to read every single piece uh, and we kind of prioritize the um, kind of top five uh, of the pieces that go live every day so we <laughs> we have quite a lot of of content that goes live every day so it's really important that we um, we highlight and showcase uh, the best of it on our social channels um, and that's kind of what the aim of the game is we're still in brand awareness mode really um, so you know your football fanatics and your, your diehard fans probably know about us but quite a lot of people still don't uh, we had our first ever tv ad go live last week uh, so that's kind of getting us in front of a, a wider market and yeah so there's lots of lots of considerations on on social so obviously the fact that we've had a tv ad go live we've also done something about that on social we did a giveaway uh, of subscriptions um by just just kind of sorting a mechanic where you know what's our what's our sign off line or what's the tagline that signs off our advert and got you know people to reply to that and uh, hopefully kind of broadened broadened our audience even further yeah, it's something that um, I remember when it started and I, I first sort of seen these uh, um, writers announce that they were going to be joining and stuff and was like, oh, that's, you know, quite a lot of the people I followed were, were heading off. And it was then showing in the infancy this sort of creative, new era of writing about football because it wasn't just match reports and general gossip. And as the person in charge of social media who can see all of the stuff that's been sent, was there a moment maybe where you're a bit sort of like, oh God, it's not going down too well, when, as I was discussing with Adam, discussing with Adam Hurry, you were getting those replies about, you know, next they'll be going to Antarctica to play football with penguins and, you know, <laughs> those kind of mocking tweets. Was it difficult seeing them? Was there a bit of apprehension? Um, I don't think it was difficult seeing them. I, I mean, I hadn't been in um, a full-time social media job uh, for a while, as in I was freelancing quite a lot, so I wasn't in it all the time and getting all of these messages. So that took a bit of adapting to, again, in, in terms of monitoring replies and everything like that. In terms of people mocking us, I mean, it's, mockery kind of means we're getting noticed. I guess it's kind of along the same lines of no PR is bad PR in that sense. Um, if people are taking the time to, to take the mic, then, you know, we're obviously kind of hitting the right tone in some areas. We, we're not going to please all of the people all of the time. Some people won't, won't get on board with what we're trying to do and that's fine, but we know that there's, there's a uh, desire and kind of, uh, people want what we're writing. They, they, they love it. They, for every, <laughs> for every go to Antarctica and play with penguins post, we also get a reply to one particular tweet that says, this is why I subscribe. This, this article alone is worth a subscription fee. 
Um, so, you know, that you kind of do have to take those, those kind of troll posts a bit with a pinch of salt. Some people will do it with the best of intentions. They'll take the mick. Mm. Others do it kind of on a more regular trolley basis. Uh, and once you kind of twig who those accounts are, then it's very easy to ignore them. Yeah, it's, it's something that um, social media has obviously become one of these things that is, you know, you either love it, hate it, uh, can't spend your time on it because of what it does to you. And um, it's particularly difficult, I suppose, for uh, for women because it, it can be, especially journalists, they get tend to get a lot more sort of hate messages and trolling and these horrible things. So on your own platform, do you experience that? And is it difficult to sort of, when it's your job, is it difficult to switch off from it? Um, to be honest, uh, now that I work, uh, you know, on a brand account, that is my sole focus on, on social media. I don't use my own brand, my own, I don't have a brand, my own account, um, very much these days, but when I was using it fairly regularly, yeah, you get, you get the odd kind of cretin who gets in touch with you. Um, and you know, the, the automatic assumption is because you're a female, you don't understand as much about football as, as men, which just baffles me. Um, to be perfectly honest but yeah you kind of have to it's really sad that you know I was just about to say you kind of have to put up with it um because it's not really going anywhere uh you can obviously you, you can lock your accounts you can do you could, there are lots of now ways that the social media platforms have implemented that means that you can protect your tweets or you can stop replies from people that don't follow you all of that kind of stuff but um yeah, I guess it's, it is. It can be difficult to manage, uh, but ultimately, if you're confident in what you do, uh, and uh, you know you have the support of your colleagues, which uh, I do, all everybody at the Athletic does, then you know we can we can kind of deal with that. Uh, it's part of my job as well as a um, social media manager to kind of look after our writers as well if they start getting any sort of abuse. Um, so yeah, I try and keep in touch with them as much as possible, and, and just kind of give them a, a shoulder to cry on if they need it. Most of them don't. That's that's not the kind of thing. You know, they're they're quite hardened to what Twitter is like these days, um, specifically. So um, yeah, it's 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 a nasty aspect uh, of the industry. But unfortunately, you know, it's I think we're we're doing a lot more to combat it these days. And people like Laura Woods, uh, I think she's incredible, uh, who just calls out for what it is. Um, and just takes them down uh, almost one by one single-handedly sometimes um, so yeah uh, I don't really use my own social media platforms that much these days for work. I, I suppose that's a, a sort of handy thing to, to be on other social media channels it just means that you're almost so bored of it come the end of the day that you don't want to be on there anymore it's it's something that I, I've done sort of social media handling stuff for people before and they're some of the, the most liberating things because you just don't want to switch back to your own account because oh, I'm on this again tomorrow. I don't know. I have to keep reading. Um, something else you've done in your career, you worked for uh, Manchester United. Um, the, the, talk to me about that because it's a, it's a huge club and there's a lot of, a lot of questions about it, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, so I first came... To work for Man United through my job at 442 actually so uh, prior to, to going freelance I was the social media editor and lead at 442 magazine and uh, that was part of Haymarket 
um, media group and previously uh, Haymarket used to publish Manchester United's programmes. So there are a few people in the company who kind of know each other. Um, the, the Manchester United programme and editorial team moved up to Manchester to be part of Manchester United uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago now. Um, but when the women's team was launching, um, they got in touch with their, their colleagues of, uh, uh, or their kind of former colleagues at 442 to ask whether there was anybody they knew of who might be knowledgeable um, about women's football, Man United fan preferably. Uh, and yeah, so they, they put me in touch. Um, so I think I kind of, I ticked a few boxes there in terms of, you know, I was a, I was a writer. Uh, I was, you know, interested in women's football. I had that knowledge already and I worked for a publication that was kind of respected. Um, so yeah, they got in touch with me. I went to the launch of the women's team uh, and I was actually, I was actually at the kind of team photo shoot before anybody knew who the players were. So it, that was an incredible experience being, you know, behind the scenes, fly on the wall type uh, fan. I was so excited about the women's team launching um, that, yeah, to be there was just an incredible, incredible moment. And it kind of went from there, really. So I did, you know, did a few articles based on that. I interviewed every, every member of the squad that day. Uh, I was absolutely knackered by the end of it, but it was incredible. It was one of those days that, you know, I won't ever forget. Um, and yeah, so for uh, two seasons, I was kind of doing a bit of everything for, for the women's team and the men's team um, in London. So I'm, I'm based in London and uh, yeah, the, the editorial team got in touch with me when I was freelance and said, oh, would you like to go and cover, cover the men's team as well? So yeah, <laughs> I said yes. Uh, got to cover um, FA Cup games, uh, Premier League games, um, didn't, didn't quite get to a Champions League game, but um, yeah, uh, I did a lot of a lot of things. I went on tour uh, with them uh, in 2019, just before I started the, at the Athletic. So I went to Norway uh, to cover uh, the men's team match uh, in Oslo, and then I stayed with the women's team because they were out in Norway as well. Uh, so yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. I'm still kind of involved with uh, with them a little bit, kind of in, keeping in touch. Um, and yeah, hopefully, you know when when fans can get back to the stadium, I'll be able to go and, and watch them. Uh, yeah, it's, it was a bit of a whirlwind and an amazing experience for a Man United fan. And the, the sort of, the involvement of Manchester United has obviously led to questioning about when Liverpool are going to spend their money on it and stuff. And there's been a lot of talk about women's football, but it has grown sort of, I want to say exponentially over the last few years, especially since sort of, more regular coverage of it has become available and obviously this season Alex Morgan's turned up in the league as someone who's been involved at a club and within that that side of the game how far can women's football go can it eventually reach the same exposure as the men's game is there still that pathway to get there uh, I think that's an interesting question and I think if you spoke to quite a lot of women's footballers um, things that I've heard previously are they don't necessarily want to get to exactly the same level of exposure as the men's game because again like we were talking about earlier in terms of abuse uh, lack of you know privacy in their private lives um, a lot of them you know uh, have families uh, children you know it, it, there's there are different kind of nuances to being a female footballer uh, than being being a male footballer um, so 
in terms of the growth of the women's game, oh, it, I mean, the potential is, is you know, is there. It, as we've seen in the last few years, it's growing and growing. And I think, you know, that's, that's going to continue on an upward curve. And quite rightly, um, I think a lot of brands are now waking up to the fact that there's, there's a really marketable kind of product there. Um, the, pro the, the quality of the football has been improving as players have turned professional. Uh, and we can see that, you know, we're, we're attracting uh, World Cup winners uh, to, the, to the league now. Uh, the best footballers in the world want to come and play in England. So, yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time to be part of it. It's, it's something that um, I think some people are bizarrely apprehensive to get into. It's something that I've found sort of they'd rather not spend any time looking into and they'd just rather sit there. Social media is good at highlighting this and just be quite bigoted. And, you know, there's people who will pass comment on the women's game without ever having seen it. it it's a good standard already. There's, there's no sort of like, you know, people will want to make it out to be this Sunday league football. But when you go to those games and you see that Man United women, do you think that clubs like Manchester United being so closely tied with their women's teams, Arsenal as well, they're quite heavily tied together. Is that important for sort of normalising and making it, you know, seem far more professional than people want to give it credit for? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the most successful teams, uh, especially in this country over the last few years, have been part of one club. So even Liverpool, um, back in you know back in the day, uh, at the very kind of beginning of of this new women's super league, they won the title twice, mm. um, and they were very much a part of Liverpool Football Club. And it's only in recent times that they've kind of been pushed to the side a little bit um, that they've they've then struggled. Um, but then, yeah, you see Chelsea very much embedded in Chelsea Football Club as a whole, Arsenal, like you said, and and now Man United. I mean, obviously. Manchester United didn't have a women's team for a long time, but when they did launch it, they made a point of making sure that it was part of that one club mentality. And I think that personally, that's the way to go um, to go forward. And I appreciate that there are clubs out there doing an amazing job on their own, uh, independent from a big Premier League men's team, so to speak. So lose, uh, they're doing an incredible job. Um, and, you know, Reading, uh, obviously, they are attached to to a, a professional men's team as well. But that you know, there are instances where it works. Um, but I think you know, to go to that next level and to keep progressing, um, it it really does require uh, the support of 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 the big men's clubs, as as you will. Um, but yeah, I I think there are there are examples of of clubs that are doing incredible work outside of that kind of remit as well. And to bring it back to you, um, so you did social media and then you sort of went into writing and then back to social media now. Were there specific points previously where you felt like you could go back into the writing or you had to go back into the social media or was it just dependent on what was available? Um, oh, good question. Um, I've always, I mean, back when I, when I was sitting down at you know at GCSE business and drawing that advert my job as a social media manager now didn't exist so I never had I could never really aspire to be a social media manager because it wasn't a thing um so the writing kind of came came to me when I was at university that's when I really started uh, writing articles um 
and I really do enjoy writing, um, but I've, I found, I've kind of found my, my niche, my speciality in, in social media management and all of the other aspects that go to not just writing a tweet, but the planning that goes behind it. I actually really, really enjoy that side of things. Um, and kind of the, the strategy behind what, what goes into a brand account. Um, I still do a bit of writing. Um, the Athletic have published me a couple of times. Um, so I, I have that option and that's, that's what's great about working at somewhere like The Athletic. You know, if, you've, you, know, if you pitch an idea uh, and the editors like it, then they'll commission you to write it. Um, and you can get involved in all of those different kinds of things as well. So it's, it's a very kind of, you know, modern and, and flexible workplace. Uh, so yeah, if I, if I come up with any other ideas, um, I might pitch them to my editor and see whether I can, I can squeeze in some writing as well. And so a lot of people who will listen to this will probably be journalists because we'll say I'm a journalism student or want to be journalists, I should say. Um, but some of them will have the same apprehensions about oh, I don't feel my writings at the level. Were there any things you learn that, that you know are quite useful for want to be journalists who maybe need that little sort of leg up and that little helping hand that comes from an expert? <laughs> an expert, I'm very kind. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I, I think one of the biggest things that that I did and I was also encouraged to do by the people that I met. So I. Um, I volunteered on the Offside Rule podcast um, with Lindsay Hooper and Kate Borsay. I met them whilst I was doing my placement year. Um, and one of the things that uh, Lindsay always said to me was when I got in touch with her in the first instance, it wasn't that I was asking her for something. It was that I was saying, you know, kind of explaining what I wanted to do in the future, but saying to her, what can I what can I do for you in a, in a way? Cause you know, we're talking about the offside or podcast and I was saying, right, I can, well, I can offer this. Um, and you know, we kind of went from there. So I think networking is, I know this probably gets said quite a lot on, on podcasts and, and to, uh, advice to, to journalism students, but the biggest thing is networking, not just with, you know, uh, people in the industry, but people outside of your, your industry as well. Just, just try and be a sponge and try and learn as much as you can from other people and other people's experiences. Um, and if you are a bit apprehensive about your writing, that one of my bosses at, at 442, he just used to say, you know, a writer's got to write. So don't stop writing, even if you're not in that kind of headspace, just try and get stuff down and don't edit yourself as you go, just write and then edit later. I think that, that's something that quite a lot of us can fall foul of is whilst you're writing, editing yourself, and then it just takes you ages to get through anything. Um, so yeah, just, I, I think that's probably, probably the main things network and just kind of persist with, you know, through, through the hard times, uh, which obviously writer's block comes to all of us. Um, so yeah. And also I think what I would say is try lots of different uh, aspects of, of journalism. The, the industry is changing so much. We're now doing <clears throat> Zoom podcasts. Um, you know, we're doing lots of different thing to things to camera. Try different things, um, and if you know you haven't considered social media as well, that's another avenue to look at. Um, yeah, it's it's something that um, is quite weird because we're um, I, I do broadcast journalism at Salford, so we do TV and radio. But when we do our big news days as sort of second and third years there is a little online section and we do a little bit of writing and then we have to sort of make things for social media. And it's something that 
apparently I, I'm, I'm only a second year so I can't comment from the past but it's something that only this year they've really got someone in to help with is to sort of you know show us how to make a good picture or how to make a, a story for vi- visual sort of aids and it's a it's a sort of almost a an indication of where the industry is going towards that social media has become important enough that on these mock news days we get people in to help us do that stuff have have you seen that change from your time doing it have you noticed those things yeah i i definitely say so um i mean i was the first social media editor in at, at 442 uh, back in 2015 um so from then uh, i kind of had a, a blank slate to come up with a strategy um about posting um, and the so- social media is constantly changing itself as well. So there's a lot to keep on, on top of and also a lot to kind of assess whether it's right to, to hop on different platforms like, you know, TikTok is the latest one that I've been having conversations about regularly. Um, but is it right for our brand? If it isn't right for our brand, then we shouldn't be on there. Um, but if there is an opportunity at some point where it all aligns, then brilliant. Well, that's another avenue to a different audience. Um, so yes, it's constantly adapting, and I think, I think the journalists that work at the Athletic would would also tell you the same. Their job has changed dramatically. I mean, the younger ones obviously not quite as much. Quite a lot of them actually probably found out about jobs through social media, whereas others who've been in the industry for 20, 30 years, they were told to get a Twitter account. Phil Hay, <laughs> our leads writer, um, had a his account made for him when he was at um, the Yorkshire Post. And uh, he was like, well, this is never going to take off. And yet he is one of our, you know, one of our most followed writers, um, one of the mo- one of the, the writers who gets the most engagement as well. Um, and that's because he, you know, he really did kind of bring it into his daily work life, um, built an audience up, kind of demonstrated his personality there as well. Um, and and yeah, just it, it grew and grew from there. So yes, I, I think the, the day-to-day job of, of journalists has changed through social media. They have access really to more of an audience than they ever did before. And also it's a two-way communication, whereas previously, if you're a writer and writing for a newspaper, uh, you wouldn't really know who'd, who'd written, <laughs> read your article. Or if you're on the radio, you, you might get the, the big numbers about, you know, the numbers back about who's listened in, but you wouldn't actually know who they were. Whereas social media now offers that communication channel for somebody, if you're on the radio and somebody hears you, they can find you on Twitter and say, oh, I heard you on the radio, agree with you on this, disagree with you on that. And, and it's just, yeah, completely revolutionized everything about the industry. And I found that interesting that you said that you had like almost a blank slate when you went to um, 442 because obviously it's it's massive um, football magazine and it strikes me as a bit bizarre that sort of 2015, that's sort of when things were shifting that way. It was still quite small social media, but though that was the first year, I mean, bringing my sort of extra knowledge in, that's the first time I remember seeing something on there about politics and sort of, you know, that's when candidates for that election started taking it seriously and you know David Cameron was posting his things about coalition of chaos and stuff so it's a bit I found it a bit sort of odd that there was a, an empty slate at 442 for you to just go and revolutionize it yeah I mean 
they had social media presence before, um, but it was very much part of a kind of add on to lots of people's jobs. So what they'd done was was great um, for, for what they had resource wise. Um, they kind of split it between them um, and built up a following that way, which was really good. Um, and then I came, kind of came in and, and kind of brought it all together um, in, in that sense. So, yeah, it was it. <laughs> In a way, yes, it was. It was kind of unusual to come in at a massive brand like Four Four Two, and have that opportunity to to create a strategy from from scratch. Um, but it's yeah, it was one of the one of the highlights of my career uh, working at Four Four Two with an incredible team. Um, going to you know interview well, going along to the interviews of you know massive players, um, and then yeah, it it was yeah, it was a very very challenging experience kind of coming in not really knowing what <laughs> what we wanted where we wanted to go with it um it was almost like um 442 knew that they needed the dedicated resource but they didn't actually know where it was going to lead in the end um so yeah it was it was really good really good fun um and yeah i'm still in touch with a lot of a lot of the 442 crowds work with a couple of them again now um so yeah it was it was an incredible experience and something i i enjoyed talking to adam hurry about was obviously his role of sort of reading other people's stuff you mentioned earlier that you sometimes get a chance to read it are there any that you know they say oh you might need to read this one before it goes out are there any writers when they say that you go that, that'll be good fun <laughs> oh, um oh, are you trying to you're basically trying to ask me who my favorite writers are aren't you well yeah it's, it's a nice <laughs> way of saying it <laughs> Um, I, to be honest, I, I dip into all of the articles anyway. Um, uh, but I think when, whenever there's anything in from George Culkin, um, I read, read him, uh, Dominic Fifield as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, all of them, I mean, it's, I, I, I feel bad, um, highlighting any in particular, but, but those two are definitely, um, writers that I enjoyed reading before I worked with The Athletic and before, um yeah before i worked at the athletic and, and before uh they became colleagues uh and you know yeah I, i'd probably go with those two it's a far more diplomatic answer than when i ask uh, adam who just straight away went matt slater and i was sort of sat there <laughs> waiting for some more more info but yeah, it's, um... yeah it, depends. it depends whether um if i'm reading it for uh for enjoyment um then you know there's there's a whole list there's a whole list of writers that i could reel off to you but i, I won't because we'll be here forever forever um but yeah then then obviously with with matt quite often it's it's the really important news and he gets it first so that's that's those are things that we we need to read first and read thoroughly um and quite a lot of the time there are, are legal considerations there as well so we i need to make sure that i'm not uh preempting anything and not get diving in and getting some information that then sometimes gets pulled because legally we're, we're not allowed to talk about it so um yeah so there's a there's a few things a few considerations there um but yeah lots of lots of moving parts when when things get filed um but yeah <laughs> yeah it, you mentioned uh offside rule and working for that that's obviously um part of the same network as things like the totally football show and such um being part of that what's what was sort of the 
the differences compared to the other things you've done because obviously podcasting as we're seeing here it's slightly more informal and a bit less sort of like um heavy on words and such it's just it's almost just like chatting to someone irrelevant of what you're doing yeah um so i yeah i started with with your side rule in oh 2012 i think it was what we first met um and yeah, they were quite you know, fledgling back then. They they kind of done a few podcasts, but not really um, made waves in the industry just yet, like they have now. You know, award-winning podcasts now, um, and part of the Athletic Network uh, as the Totally Football Show are uh, as well, which is a really nice kind of full circle story um, for me to be kind of part of it again as well. Um, uh, yeah, so working for a podcast back then, um, so kind of highlighted a few things that um, I told uh, Kate and Lindsay would be helpful for me. So they used to send me lines from, from the podcast that I could uh, use to promote on, on Twitter. I um, made sure to follow lots of people uh, on Twitter. So again, it was, it was the very start of, of a Twitter account's life. Um, so I was kind of building it up from, from not many followers about maybe, maybe a hundred. Um, I'm not sure. Um, and yeah, kind of going going from there and making sure that what was unique about the Offside Rule podcast was, you know, it was a, a football podcast by women. Um, so I made a point of, you know, reaching out essentially to women in the industry, following all the relevant people um, and, you know, trying to build up a bit of a relationship with with these, these women on, on social so that they knew who, you know, knew the project knew most of them knew Kate and Lindsay anyway um but you know they they Kate and Lindsay didn't have the time to put into growing social media presence uh, at the time which is why they kind of uh, hired and well recruited volunteers to to do that and it was one of yeah one of the first um if not well after my my placement year internship at the football foundation uh, it was um the second thing that I managed to, you know, get under my belt uh, to work in the industry, work in football, and the the guidance that, that Kate and Lindsay provided uh, has been uh, invaluable. Uh, I don't think I'd be where I am now without Kate and Lindsay. Um, so, and this is this is something that you know, a point that's come across uh, come up a few few times over the years. Like, I never got paid to, or in the first, you know, in the first instance, I never got paid to do any of that. It was very much a volunteer role, but I never wanted to be paid for that. That wasn't my, my aim in, in working for them um, and you know, working with them. Uh, the, the experience and the guidance and the mentorship that they, they provided was more valuable to me than any sort of monetary uh, yeah, compensation that they could have provided. Um, and you know, they, don't, they, don't get, they didn't get paid back in those days for creating the podcast it was a, a labor of love for them um they were working really really hard to build the brand and to get to a point where you know it was financially viable and you know they're both very very busy these days you know um but they still you know put the time the time into the offside or podcast and you can see from where it's at now that it has grown and that's that's all credit to to them and you mentioned that you volunteered and you didn't want money and it was all about the, the mentorship. Is that something that you'd recommend to, to people like me who want to go into the industry, whether that's social media, writing and stuff? Because obviously 
we're sort of in that situation now where we're having to look for you know the future even if we are second years third years we're still there's always planning and a lot of people like to complain that there's not the money in what is available but is volunteering sort of one of those things that yeah you put in a lot of hard work for no monetary gain but for everything afterwards it's just Im- imperative um it's a, it's a good question and it's a, it's a difficult one to answer because every every person's situation will be different um you know i i did work experience um in london where i wasn't paid um and i had to sofa surf uh, all around but you know i did i did that um and that was great experience um i'd say don't <laughs> don't ever sell yourself short. If there's a job there, if there's a job around um, and you know, you fit the bill and you can get it, don't ever say that you'll do it for free. Don't ever jump the gun and say, Oh, I'll do it for nothing. Don't ever say that. Um, you know, you don't, don't sell yourself short uh, in any way uh, is probably the, the main thing I'd say. But I think the difference uh, these days is that, students like you you're making your own podcasts you're getting experience you're talking to people in the industry all the time whereas back when i was starting in the industry that that wasn't really a thing we didn't i didn't i didn't do that a, a lot of my you know my peers weren't doing that either that's that's really solid experience for you guys um, you're you're proactive in doing your own thing um and i think yeah as much as possible continue doing that and that's your you know you don't, you don't get paid for doing this so you know um just keep adding different different things different experiences to your bow along the way as much as possible you might have to do some for free um but it's it should always be kind of a an assessment of the value that you're going to get out of it if it's something where you're going to be sat on a sports desk somewhere um making teas and um just kind of left to your own devices, not, not actually contributing much and, and the people around you don't have time to teach you, then is it really worth your time? Because your time is valuable, whether it has a monetary value attached to it or not. Um, so I think that's, that's probably the main thing that I would say. It's, yeah, it's something that I hadn't, you know, fully thought about when I was asking that question was about sort of individual circumstance and stuff and the change of the way things are but I suppose it's something that's quite important because people will be considering you know do I want to volunteer for this and that and um, it's always something that I find tricky about getting into the industry is sort of taking the plunge and we're all a little bit pessimistic in the way we talk about ourselves we don't like to fully sell ourselves and so it's something that I find incredibly difficult sometimes is finding the right balance of sort of explaining what I'm good at and also recognizing that probably if I say, oh, yeah, I am really great at all this stuff, I might sound like I'm going to go there and try and teach these experienced journalists more than uh, that I'm going to try and learn. Um, but I had some sort of quick fire stuff I wanted to ask about. Um, when when you got the the athletic gig and you were doing the, the leading on that, was there any things you had in mind that you were bringing from previous roles that you were going to do to help the launch go smoothly and to get people on side quicker um i think mobilizing our writers um in the launch was was massive obviously we have an incredible array of talent uh, on on the books at the athletic and they all have a social media following that they've built up and worked really hard to get um, themselves so that was a big consideration for for around the launch is you know getting them 
to tweet, retweet, tag the Athletic UK uh, to make sure that people knew where to come. We did also do some kind of um, targeted, uh, oh, you should follow the Athletic. Oh, I'm now writing for the Athletic, so come and follow the Athletic. So uh, there was, it was quite in your face, basically. Um, and that was, that's kind of outside of my comfort zone in terms of the way that I would usually like to do things. But in this circumstance, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, it, you know, we were going to make a splash on the day that we launched and that is exactly what we did. Um, and it was pretty successful. We, I think we put on 50,000 followers in the first day, um, which was incredible. Uh, we were trending in the UK as well. So that was definitely uh, the right approach. Uh, it was not one that I'd, I'd had previously. I didn't, there was no kind of need to do that at any other place that I'd worked at. Um, so yeah, that was a, a bit different. But the other things that I kind of brought to the athletic, uh, I guess, is, is the, the planning side of, of social media. So obviously you have to be quite reactive in social media, but there is value in proactive, reactive social planning. So, you know, there's uh, Arsenal versus Chelsea on Boxing Day. What can we do about that on social? Well, I can be proactive and actually get something planned in now um, rather than wait on the day to see, oh, it's Arsenal versus Chelsea today. What am I going to do about it? Um, so there's, yeah, I, I place quite a, quite a high value on planning in social media. And you mentioned the, the launch and stuff. Um, was there anyone who made any sort of slight boo-boos, maybe you tagged the wrong the athletic account or you know, <laughs> did, did something wrong? Um, so actually I, I, I only started at the athletic on the day that we launched. So the social media team in the U in the U S had put quite a lot together. Um, and I was then in the office from six o'clock in the morning, kind of implementing it. Um, <clears throat> I think we made, we made a bit of a, a boo-boo on the day by tagging the wrong, uh, the wrong writer handle, I think. Um, so we, we quickly rectified that. That was fine. I think we said somebody was starting. So we had a few, a few writers start uh, a bit later. So not everybody started on that first, uh, that first Monday in August, 2019. I think we'd said, oh, somebody's starting in a couple of weeks time. And they're like, hang on. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm here now kind of thing. So a couple of minor things like that, but no, I, I don't remember anybody making any, any mistakes. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm pretty pleased, pleased on that count. <laughs> it, it's something that I, I always think when there's like wide scale, you know, I'm going to tweet that I'm leaving my job. I'm just always wondering, is someone going to forget to tag the account or is someone going to tag the wrong one? Just in sort of, <laughs> I know I would, I, I'd be sat there going, which the athletic account is it? And just click the first one I see. But yeah, I mean, that has happened a couple of times. That still happens sometimes now. Um, we do have quite a few accounts across the, across the company. Um, yeah, I do sometimes have to remind the writers to, to tag us um, every now and then, but they're generally very, very good. Are there, are there any articles you get that come in that get you can guarantee some of the responses? I, I'd imagine it was weirdly whilst we were in A-levels, actually, we were joking about um, David Ornstein's Twitter following because obviously when he was at the BBC and he was doing all this stuff at Arsenal, even if he wasn't covering Arsenal, all of the replies were just the memes and everything. And I saw there was a piece about it recently, but when, when they post, of, does the athletic account get sort of filled with these comments as well? Uh, yeah, uh, short answer, <laughs> yep. Uh, whenever Orny tweets anything and tags us in it, which he generally does, um, he's very good, at, obviously, he's very good on social. 
um, yeah, anything Arsenal related, our, our mentions and our uh, notifications just goes absolutely nuts. So you kind of have to look away from, from that for a little while um, to actually concentrate on any of the other work that you're doing. They go out of order for just a couple of minutes whilst every single Arsenal fan flees to David Onstein's mentions, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, we broke, I think you broke the story about Emery being sacked and, um, and then Arteta coming in. So those few days, uh, watching, well, within a minute of, of him tweeting news about Arsenal, um, the numbers are just insane. I just watch it tick over on his tweet and I just, okay, wow. That's that's absolutely mad. Um, so yeah, we do have to. <laughs> whenever uh, Orny uh, gets involved in in uh, anything on social like that, um, yeah, our notifications go go crazy for well, for <laughs> for about half an hour. Um, so yeah, it's it's sometimes a bit difficult then to if somebody's tweeted us with a uh, a subscription query, uh, it don't do it shortly after Orny's tweeted. <laughs> it, it's um. It's almost like, all oh, right, oh, I need to do something for the athletic. Oh, Ornstein, yeah, okay, okay, no point, right. I'll wait five more minutes, see, see if anything happens. Um, some I like to ask the people I get on because I, I get something from it and other people listening do as well, but are there any tips, tricks you've picked up through the years that you can share that will you know help people who want to go in a similar field that, that you are in? Um, I think it's just the same as we've we've spoken about before is you know keep talking to people uh, ask questions all the time um, but also make sure that you know if you are getting in touch with people you don't know um, like you did um, (laughs) and getting in touch with with a few of us um, make sure that you know when you are reaching out to people that you're um, not expecting lots from them um straight away because i found what's amazing in this industry is that so many people most people will give of their time um it's just about you know being persistent finding the right time um and you know not kind of hassling in a in the wrong way be persistent definitely but equally uh, be appreciative of of the the work pressures that they probably have on already um so I definitely just, yeah, networking is, is the biggest, is the biggest thing. And also if you experience knockbacks, um, it, you have to have a bit of a tough, you know, a tough skin here uh, to, to kind of thrive in the industry. You will get knockbacks. Everybody, everybody does. Uh, ev- all of my colleagues we have spoken about it, um, you know, didn't necessarily go down, um, down the path that they thought they were going to initially or, you know, applied for a job that they thought they were absolutely perfect for, didn't get it. Um, and yeah, just, you know, dust, dust yourself off and go again. Essentially, it's such a cliche, but um, learn from it as much as you possibly can. Uh, and yeah, kind of take that, take that with you. And would you like to tell people where they can find you? I know you say you don't use it, but you've still got your personal <laughs> handles and stuff. Yeah, um, so you can follow me at, at HM Drudge on Twitter. Um, so it will mostly be retweets of my favourite athletic articles and also a, a few other bits and pieces every now and then. Uh, I find when I'm off when I'm off work, I do sometimes kind of stray over and have a look and see whether there's anything that I think is worth tweeting. Um, but yeah, that's that's the main one. Thank you very much for for joining me, Harriet. I really appreciate your time.
You're welcome. Thanks, Sam.